September 2013, in San Francisco, on a commuter train, the young man pulled out a 45 caliber pistol. He even scratched his nose while he held the gun, put it back, took it out two or three more times, and uh, nobody noticed. Everyone on the train was looking at their phones, at their tablets, uh, they were texting, they were talking, they were playing games. For, for several minutes, he pulled this gun out, and finally he killed a young student on the, on the train. And that was the first time anyone had a sense that anything wrong was going on. He wasn't even trying to hide his weapon. The people were just, even next to him, were so engrossed in texting and reading that nobody noticed until it was too late. They were completely oblivious to their surroundings. Well, certainly cell phones and tablets uh, have, I say, hijacked our attentions, largely because they're so portable. They go anywhere we go. They, they go on the fishing boat, on the lake. They go everywhere you want to go. You've got these distractions with you constantly. Past generation was television. Uh, you know, some people, as soon as they get home from work, the television comes on, and it stays on all evening, and you just can't drag them away from the TV. Uh, I've, I've been in many homes visiting over the years, and I've actually had to tell the people, would you mind turning your television off so we can talk? This? Oh, I didn't even notice it was on, they say. Well, before uh, TVs, we had uh, radio programs, the Green Hornet, maybe, uh, Dragnet, or maybe the Sears catalog, romance novels, lots of things to take our attention and, and kind of hijack our focus to, to many degrees. But um, there are hundreds of things that can take our attention away from what truly is important. Sometimes it's not the day-to-day things. It can be a major crisis in your life. You could have a death in the family, a job loss, a family crisis, a pandemic. Do you remember what happened in 2001, 9-11? Those two numbers, 9-11, bring back... Memories of being glued to the television set, watching the towers coming down. It's like for days, where what happened? And everything else is on hold. How about a couple of years later, 2003, the Iraq War? Is this the end of the world? Is this, is this Jesus is coming back? You're, all these questions are swirling around. And you're trying to make sense of things, but everything else is put on hold until you kind of figure out what is it that's going on. Well, same thing that happened during the Olympics or World Cup soccer, or the World Series, the Grey Cup, NASCAR, Indy 500. A lot of these kinds of things can just grab our attention, and we can just let be oblivious to everything else that's going on around us. So for the next five Sundays, I want to zero in on five particular things that I feel can distract us from priorities or from what's really important, particularly in what God may be wanting to do in your life, in my life, in the lives of our family members. And I'm going to use five of the most well-respected biblical characters in the Bible to do this. And what this is going to show is that no one's perfect, right? We all have flaws. And, and we can relate to some of these major characters in the Bible, knowing that God even used them in extremely significant ways. So this is what we call... Um, a topical series of messages that I'm going to speak the next five weeks. After that, I will go to a more exegetical or Bible book series. I, I kind of go from style to style uh, just to change things up. But to, and also, you know, to be honest, I don't know you that well. <laughs> I'm still trying to get to know you and your family and, and what God is doing amongst you, what He wants you to hear, uh, the messages He wants me to bring. So I'm going to use these this next month to really... Uh, talk to you, you might get a phone call from me. 
You might just hear, of, hey, this is Pastor Tom. I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Can I do you have a few minutes to talk? So that's my goal, just to find out what's going on in your life, the needs you might have, some prayer requests that you might have, and together we can discern the way God wants us to go in the months ahead. So today's focus is the distraction of details. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just moved houses, I moved jobs, I moved banks, and I've got a million details to really take care of, and someone has to take care of them. And then the car goes, and then, you know, there's other things that just keep piling on, and all of a sudden, you kind of wonder, like, when's the last time I went on a date with my wife? When's the last time I threw a ball with my son? When's the last time I took my daughter for a milkshake? The important thing is going to just be pushed aside because i got to get this done. And all of a sudden we realize we're missing out on some of the priorities in our life. So God found a perfect person to address a very serious issue in the lives of his people. Now back in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, we find God's people in slavery in Egypt. They've been there for generations. They've been crying out to God. And finally God says, the time is right. I'm going to free you from your slavery. And I'm going to send a guy named Moses. Moses, I find a very fascinating character. I don't see anyone else in the scriptures like him. A very dedicated, passionate guy. Uh, kept his uh, nose to the grindstone in a sense. He, he worked hard. He did what he was supposed to do. I, I think he, was a, he had a great heart, compassionate heart. Uh, great person to be a leader, but he was flawed. Um, I don't know. His character I find fascinating. I, I can't really pinpoint it, but I, what I do know is throughout the rest of the scriptures, he will become the iconic representative of the laws and regulations God put in place to guide his people from Egypt to the promised land. And in in between Egypt and the promised land, he had to create them into a nation. They didn't have um, laws. They didn't have rules. They didn't know how to worship. They didn't know anything. They were just slaves making bricks from day to day to day, trying to avoid getting whipped by the taskmasters. So um, Moses, I think, he kind of liked the laws. I think he was the kind of guy that memorized the policy manuals. Um, He probably got an A in designing constitutions uh, class. Uh, Maybe he uh, he just appreciated the rules. He was the one that God gave Deuteronomy to and Numbers and Leviticus. These are heavy books filled with regulations and rules and maybe Moses just could appreciate this because rules, rules make it easy, right? Rule, if you just follow the rules, you'll be okay. And so he helped the people follow the rules. You know, he, uh, he was the keeper of the rules. He earned this title largely because he was the one. Can you imagine being the only judge for two million people? He was the one who knew all the rules. God gave him all the rules, the Ten Commandments and everything else on how to worship, how to set up society, how to treat your neighbor. What happens if, if your donkey kills his chicken? Like, how do we fix this? And so Moses was the one who people came to all day long. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. And, and this is kind of what was going on during the, the time where the people were in between, in between slavery and the promised land. Starting verse 7, Exodus 33, Moses used to take the tent and set it up outside the camp at a distance. And he called the tent of meeting, uh, it was called the tabernacle. And when anyone sought the Lord, he would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And when Moses would go outside the camp, 
um, everyone would stand at their, the, the, the opening of their tent. They would get up, they would stand at the doorway, they watched Moses until he entered the tent, and when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stand at the doorway of the tent while God spoke with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the doorway of the tent, all of them would get up and prostrate themselves in worship, each one at the doorway of his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. So if there was a matter to be decided, God would go, sorry, Moses would go and talk to God. It says like face to face. Moses understood the importance of relationship with God. But all the people all stayed in their tent, and they, but you know, they, they laid down on the ground in, in some kind of form of worship to God. But the problem was, it was only Moses going to God. He was the only one that really had this relationship with God. He didn't really help the people come to know God for themselves. He helped them follow the rules and the commandments and the policies, the regulations. And the people certainly feared God, but they didn't yet know that they could love him. For Moses, one day turned into another, and everyone was filled with more and more details and judgments and rules and regulations. It says in Exodus 18, verse 13, Moses sat to judge the people. It's what what he did. It's his job. And the people stood by Moses from the morning to the evening. Can you imagine settling disputes from the morning to the evening, one day turning into the next day? And Moses' father-in-law came to visit one day, and he said to, to, um, to Moses, what you're doing is not right. You've got you to hand this over to other people. The people he says, but the, most, the people come to me and inquire of me, and, 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 and I have to settle the dispute, and I judge between one and the other, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Fortunately, he had a wise father-in-law who says, no, no. <laughs> Kind of like he's saying, you're not that important, you know. You need to spread this out. You're going to wear away. The people are going to not respect you anymore. And over my lifetime, I've spent untold hours in church business meetings and council meetings and elder meetings and deacons meetings and lead team meetings. And invariably, we will spend an inordinate amount of time on the details, particularly how come line item number 47 is $23 out of where it should be? And, and we could spend half an hour talking about this. You know, I'd, I'd much rather say, well, we're, I know we've got to take care of the business of the church, and we've got to take care of, we are financially responsible uh, to the government, to the people, to make sure every dollar is accounted for. But where are we going? Why do we have to take care of the business? It's because we've got a mission. We are trying to achieve a destination. God is taking us on a journey from where we are to where he wants us to have an impact in our own communities and in our own city. So I admit I sat through the the AGM of our Pacific District this past week, and I don't want to make this a criticism. I think I have to be in the denomination a few months before I do that. So this is just an observation. Um, Can you guess how much time was spent explaining last year's budget uh, and then presenting this year's budget compared to the amount of time it took to talk about the number of baptisms or salvations or growth in our churches or missionary needs or prayers or new, new staff that we brought into the, the district. Um, I'll let you guess uh, how much time was spent in each one, but I can tell you I wouldn't bring it up if I didn't see it as a 
uh, maybe something to look at down the road. But I did feel sorry for Moses. I felt sorry for Moses because he was stuck in detail mode, uh, management mode. And it's like he forgot where they were going. He forgot that there was a promised land out there waiting for them. And the people, the longer they didn't get to the promised land, the longer it took, the longer they were stuck in wanderings, uh, they started grumbling and complaining. Their favorite pastime became trash-talking their leaders and wanting to go back to Egypt. The people became so consumed with the day-to-day details, where we're going to get our food, where we're going to get the water, who's going to protect us, that they lost sight of their vision and their goal. And that would prove to them to be a fatal mistake. You know, they, they feared God, but they didn't love Him. They didn't respect Him. They didn't trust Him. They didn't know Him. And so when it came time to move out in faith, they failed. They walked away, and they said, we want to go home to Egypt. Exodus 20, 19, it kind of encapsulates the relationship they had with God. It says, they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But don't let God talk to us because then we'll die. The way I read it, rather than helping the people love God and follow God, Moses was more about helping them know the rules and the policies and, and following, living life by the book. But to be fair, as a former nation of slaves, what did they know? They didn't know how to be a nation, a people. They didn't have their their culture clearly defined. And Moses had helped them regain an identity. The problem was, by the time the New Testament came and Jesus was walking the earth, this, the rules and the regulations had been totally consuming the nation of Israel. They've started to worship the rules. The Sadducees and the Pharisees added literally thousands of more rules to what God had commanded, so there were now rules on how to follow the rules. They began to wa- worship the rules and commands, which became an impenetrable barrier around God, and no normal person could access God anymore. He was surrounded by people who said, you have to follow the rules, and they berated you if you didn't Treat the rules with respect and admiration. Think back to when you first encountered God. Maybe it was a a very joyous, uh, earth-shaking moment for you. you. You came to realize for the first time that God loved you, that he had a plan for your life. And you can see, now I don't have to live life on my own. I can, I can have God in me, working in me, and leading me and guiding me and teaching me and giving me the wisdom I need for day to day. We, worship was exciting. Getting into God's Word was riveting. You just couldn't get enough. You're reading it all the time. You're serving with, with the kids' ministry or with the youth ministry or, or bringing flowers or, or lots of different things in the church that, that maybe you got involved in. And then over time, maybe... Maybe you kind of lost sight. Maybe you realized that you haven't read your Bible in a while now. Maybe, maybe you started serving the church instead of serving God. Maybe your perspective changed, and you no longer had that excitement anymore. It's like, what happened? It's easy to attend church out of habit rather than with an anticipation for encountering God. It's easy to mindlessly breeze through a devotional book each morning, not even asking the question, God, do you have something you want me to know today? 
It's easy for churches to stop dreaming and stop casting a vision for the future and default to following routine programs and traditions and policies or just even following the loudest voice that keeps saying, we should do this, we should do that. So in the midst of challenges and the opposition and the hardship of the desert wanderings, fortunately Moses, he reaches out to God. He realizes that he has to draw deep from the well of God's presence in order to continue to lead. He couldn't lead these murmuring and complaining people alone. He had to have the empowering presence of God carrying him and guiding him if he was going to survive. And there's a moment in the story of Moses that I I truly am awestruck. And I come back to this over and over and over in my lifetime. It's this pivotal moment for me, watching the life of Moses in the midst of all the details that he was supposed to take care of and the people he was supposed to guide and lead. And it comes in Exodus chapter 33. Moses is talking with God. He doesn't say, God, protect us. Or, God, uh, steak and baked potatoes would be a nice thing to add to the menu. This manna is getting old. Uh, He doesn't ask for even an easier job. What he does, he asks for God to reveal himself, to show himself to Moses. It's like Moses is saying, I just want to see you. I just want to be with you. I want to know more of you. I I hear your voice, but can I not have a glimpse of who you are? Let me see your glory, he says in verse 17, chapter 33 of Exodus. Be bold or go home, you know. I think uh, he probably knew if he looked at the holiness of God, it would cost him his life. But, hey, what a way to go. Get to see God and die. One day we'll get to see God face to face. I think we're going to have different bodies, though, that can handle being in the presence of God's glory. I know it's just a movie, but do you remember Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? The second last scene in the uh, movie, we have the, uh, the hero tied to this pole with uh, the heroine, the, 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 what do I want to say, the wrong word there, the, the woman actor uh, named Miriam, and uh, they're surrounded by the Nazis who are just going to open up the Ark of the Covenant, and this is the grand moment, the finale, the big reveal for the movie, and as they take the lid off, the Spirit of God starts to move. And Indiana Jones tells Miriam, just don't look. Close your eyes. Whatever happens, don't look. And in the next few moments, everyone, all the soldiers, all the bad people, they're all completely wiped out. And the only two left standing are Indiana Jones and his friend. That moment actually was seared into my memory as as a teenager when I saw that. And I've never forgotten that. Don't look. And this is what Moses was wanting to do. He wanted to look and see God. And God accommodated to him and left him standing, left him alive. He says, I will show you my back, but you can't see my face. Do you know God likes having friends? He wants intimacy with his people. Exodus 33 says that Moses could speak with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Job 29.4 says, I was in the prime of my life, and God all-powerful was my closest friend. James 2.23 describes Abraham as being a friend of God. 
John 15, 14, and 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, I, I no longer call you servants, but I've called you friends. God likes friends, not just worshipers, not just acquaintances, not just a, a, a horde of people out there. He likes friendship. Did you know that God not only knew Moses' name, but he knew Moses' heart? He was, a, he was a good man. I think Moses was a good leader. Uh, who else has ever in the history of the world been asked to release two million people from slavery and take them to another country? He had a big assignment, and he knew he needed intimacy with God. And that's what the people respected about him, right? Because he, he kept meeting with God and would come back. Because he was in the glory of God, he'd come back with his face glowing because he was in the presence of God, As, uh, talking with his friend. It was too bad that the people never learned how to trust God, and it would cost them their life in the end. So how about you? Do you find yourself being overwhelmed by the details of life? Details of work and family and finances and, and all of the things. that Maybe you're caring for your parents. You've got, you're the in-between, the parents and, and the children, and, and everything just seems to be getting out of hand, and you don't have any time at the end of the day. You're just overwhelmed by just getting stuff done, and, and then something else comes, and just you don't have a time to, to breathe. Too many times the important parts of our life are just pushed aside, just put on hold. It'll get better one day, you say. Intimacy with God puts everything in perspective. What I've, I've learned over the years that if we trust God to be in control, then we can let go of having to be responsible for everything like Moses was doing. He finally had to just trust the people into God's hands. You know, in Philippians 4.13, it doesn't say, I can do all things. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's a relationship thing that we have to understand. So how do you create intimacy with God? John Bloom wrote an article uh, on this topic, and he said intimacy is what we call um, the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. Intimacy is both, I like this, he says intimacy is both relational and spatial. Relational and spatial. James 4.8 says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. It's the closeness that, that, that defines the intimacy. So an intimate friend is someone we feel close to. They know us at a deeper level. If, if something happens between us and our friend, then we feel distant, farther apart. When we have to come back together closest, that spatial thing is what, what we're looking for in a relationship with God, drawing near to him. We can't be intimate with a person that we don't trust. And the more we trust, say, God... With our life and our situations and circumstances and difficult decisions, we trust him. We, we, we ask for his counsel and his leadership, and he comes through for us. He gives, him the, gives us the way to go. Then, then our intimacy grows. We feel closer to him. God is willing to be intimate with those who will trust him. Bloom goes on to say that there's a common mistake in trying to find intimacy um, that some people think you can become closer to God by knowing more about God or accumulating more knowledge. So we have dozens of Bible translations, thousands of Christian books, millions of regular religious articles, recorded sermons, interviews, movies, documentaries, music, and more. But all of these things can also be a substitute for actually knowing God, for actually seeking Him, 
with all of our heart and soul. We can use all this as, as kind of enhancers, but, but he's the one we're after, not all of the extraneous things. You search the scriptures, Jesus says in John chapter 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, he says, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. People were so puffed up with knowledge in Jesus' day, but they didn't know God. Another common mistake, Bloom says, is trying to achieve intimacy with God through subjective aesthetic experiences. What he means is some people immerse themselves in highly liturgical environments designed to inspire the experience of transcendence and mystery. Other people pursue intimacy with God in contemporary worship events designed to inspire an experience of eminence. Others try to chase after revivals, wanting to be close to God through the power of God and seeing transformed lives. They, they figure if I can be close to what His power is doing, I will be close to Him. Well, these things are they're good in, of themselves, but they never satisfy because you, you keep needing more and more. And they're supposed to actually lead you to God Himself. The experience isn't what we're chasing. God is who we need. Moses didn't care about the, 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 the singing and the harps and the liturgy. He cared about seeing God himself. What does Paul say in Philippians 3.8? He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, for this sake, I have suffered the loss of everything. And I counted all this rubbish. It's like, I don't even care all the stuff that I've lost because there's something even more important in my life. I just want to gain Christ to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. You know Dr. Gary Chapman? He wrote a famous book called The Five Love Languages. Do you know God has a love language? Have you ever thought about that? What is God's love language? What does he want from me? His own people couldn't seem to get it out, get it right. Um, they thought if they had the religious festivals and all the sacrifices and burnt offerings, that it would appease God. And God told them over and over, they're wasting their time. They couldn't figure out his love language. The prophet Amos and King David seemed to have an understanding. Amos 5, God says, I, the Lord, I hate, I hate, and I despise your religious celebrations in your times of worship. I won't accept your offerings or animal sacrifices, even if it's your very best. No more of your noisy songs. I won't even listen when you play your harps. He says, let justice and fairness flow like a river that never runs dry. He's saying, first things first. It's okay to worship, but if you're treating your brother with, with disrespect and disregard, I don't, I don't want this worship from you. Let justice and fairness flow like a river that never runs dry. Justice and fairness have to do with our relationship with our fellow man, those around us. And King David adds, God, you don't desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken heart, a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. Amos is talking about a relationship with other people. 
David is talking about how we come before God himself. Sounds to me an awful lot like the two greatest commandments to me. Loving God with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind. Loving your neighbor as yourself. These, I feel, are God's love language. Those two things, if we can get it right, we can make God happy. If we can make him feel everything's okay with us. In fact, if we can keep these two great commandments, loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving God with all of our heart, strength, mind, and soul, then everything else will be kept in the proper perspective. All the other details won't matter as much because God will be able to have control of our heart and our mind. We'll be treating one another with love and respect and dignity as we are supposed to. God's people often default to following rules when all the time he was looking for relationship. He was looking for hearts turned to him. Keeping these two instructions, the two greatest commandments in the forefront every day, will prevent the details of life from distracting us from what is really important. Today's message, focus on knowing him and you'll be okay. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the flawed people you chose to use all throughout the scriptures. Showing us that even in, a, in, in weakness, you can be strong through us. You can guide us. And may we learn and watch these characters that we'll be talking about in the next few weeks to see that, yeah, they did a lot of great things, but they still had blind spots too. They still had things to work on, just like us. But God, may we see how you work through them, and may we continue to focus and refocus our vision on you and what's important. Thank you for these people in this church. May you use this congregation in a mighty way in the coming days as we follow you and seek and serve you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And as we love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.